Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I want you to see why that video is so important. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I want you to know that just like that little guy in that video, what we're talking about today is no joke. You have an enemy. And scripture often compares him to a snake. Have you read that? It's not the only comparison. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Look, I don't know why you're here today. Um, It may be that you just come to church every Sunday. Maybe that you're a guest with us here today and it's your your first time here, maybe you're, maybe you're looking for a church, maybe you're trying to figure out what church is a good fit for you, maybe you're watching this online or on a screen somewhere, maybe you're here today, because we've got 21 people being baptized throughout the day today, which is an awesome thing to celebrate, isn't it? And uh, to, yeah, absolutely, I mean, we celebrate with these folks what God's doing in their lives, and maybe you're here to, to kind of encourage and celebrate with somebody today in this step of faith that they're taking. I don't know why you're here. I do know this, though, that what we're about to talk about applies to you because the Bible tells us that this is true for all of us, that we all have an enemy and that for all of us there's times when we go through struggle or we go through trial or we go through temptation or we go through suffering. Today, let's, let's just put all those things into, into one big category, whether we're talking about temptation, maybe you even know what real persecution in some way is like, it's a struggle, it's a trial, let's just call it all testing. Scripture uses that word at times, talk about times of testing. And today what I want to walk through in that passage we just read is four steps to surviving times of testing. That when you come up against these times, how do you stay alert? How do you do your best to survive those times, not just survive in them, but even to thrive in them? We're going to talk today about four steps to surviving times of testing. And so let's just jump in, looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here's the first one. Step number one is to be alert. Step number one, be alert. Now, it's not unusual for Peter to say this. If you're not familiar with, uh, with the book of 1 Peter, we've been walking through this, and Peter, who was an apostle, he was one of Jesus' friends and disciples, is writing a letter years later to a church that's far away. It's in a place that he's probably never been, people he's, for the most part, never met, and he's encouraging them. As he gets down to the very end of this letter, he repeats something that he's already said twice before. He says to them that they should be alert and of sober mind. And this is a common theme that Peter uses. Watch this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he's already said these same things before. He says it again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So it's interesting that he stresses this idea three times throughout his letter. He wants them to know, I want you to be alert. I want you to have a sober mind. He says, I want you to think 
straight. Sometimes different translations will even translate it as, I want you to be self-controlled. And what's really interesting is that he tells them to be alert in chapter 5, verse 8, right after what he says in chapter 5, verse 7. We talked about verse 7, I think, back on, on New Year's Day. It's, it's one of our favorite promises in Scripture. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's a good word, isn't it? I mean, we pray that, we think about it, it's a good promise, I can cast my cares on the Lord because he cares for me. What's interesting though is with the very next breath, Peter casts this warning. He says, cast all your cares on the Lord for he cares for you, but be alert, make sure you're thinking right, be self-controlled, be fully sober. And here's why, because it's good that we can trust in the Lord, but that doesn't mean that troubles won't come. In fact, sometimes for some of us what happens is when those trials and troubles do come, they blindside us. They catch us off guard. Either because maybe we've dropped our guard because we found a place of some rest or some comfort and we forget that there's, that there's trouble that's out there. Or maybe sometimes we get blindsided because we forget that there's an enemy and we get surprised. It's interesting how he puts verse seven and verse eight together. The devil's tactic of terror is in contrast to God's promise of care. And don't you forget that difference in their two, uh, two characters. That God comes to you with care and love. The devil, his hope is to come to you with terror. That's why Peter says, be alert. And so in getting ready for today, I did a little bit of research, and you, you can do this. You can, you can jump online, whether you use Google, Yahoo, whatever you use to, to search, and search this phrase, how to avoid being eaten by a lion. It's fascinating, actually. Not much help in Toledo, but if you're going to Africa, it's a good thing to know. Actually, there's a lot of stuff that comes up. It's really interesting. And one of the things that, that I read in multiple places was that if you are in a place that's prone to lion attacks, one of the best things that you can do is to put out a night watchman. Have someone who will be out there, because they usually hunt at night, and if you have someone out there who's hopefully armed and can alert other people, then they can help to protect you and to keep you safe and to give you a warning. Someone who is ready to defend and alert during a time of attack is really helpful. This is why Peter says, you need to be alert. Here's why. What he's saying is, do not get caught off guard. And for many of us, in a spiritual sense, we can find ourselves in places where we do, where we drop our guard. We're not thinking right. We're not self-controlled. And I would challenge you, where are the times that you're vulnerable where are the places where the enemy knows he can get at you with fear, or with temptation? Is it when you're with certain people? Is it in the area of your emotions, of your lusts, of your pride, of your fear? I think it's good to think about not just where that is in your life that you're vulnerable, it's also good to think about when is it that you're vulnerable? I mean, let's get just as simple. Is there, is there a certain time of day? Maybe even a day of the week when... Um, it's more likely that the enemy's gonna get your attention. For some of us, it's certain times of year. Maybe it's in the winter, or it's the holiday, or it's a certain date on the calendar that we know that we're vulnerable then. Maybe it's when we're angry or frustrated. Maybe when we're alone, when we're tired or we're stressed. 
Here's what's really important, and this is what Peter's trying to say to us, that personal vigilance leads to spiritual victory. If you want to be victorious spiritually, then you got to know, I have to have my guard up. I have to be alert. I have to be looking out for what could be coming my way. And he stresses this idea of responsibility, of self-control, because somewhere you're involved in this whole thing. It's interesting, as we talk about what Peter says, we're, we're going to find a couple of times a parallel to what James teaches us. In James chapter 1, James is also talking about how do you go through times of testing, trial, trouble, um, uh, temptation, struggle. And he says this, James chapter 1 verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone But each person, look at what he says here, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He says when you're tempted, don't blame God. (laughs) You know who you should be pointing the finger at? He says oftentimes, it's you. You ever watched a, I don't know, TV show, movie, I don't know, something like that, that has to do with espionage. Maybe it's spies, or it has to do with national intelligence or something like that, and you've got a team of people, and you're rooting for the team, and then somewhere there's evidence that shows that someone on the team is actually, someone that you trusted is actually working for the enemy. They have what they call like a sleeper agent. Have you ever seen a show like that? Like the whole plot twists when all of a sudden you go, there's a bad guy in our midst. And oftentimes, here's the phrase, they say, somewhere we have a, anybody know we have a mole? You too have, you, some of you watched way too much TV. said, <laughs> you have a mole, somebody that's there. The reality is, inside of you, there's a mole. There's somebody who should be trusted, but actually at times works for the enemy. And we have to realize that we're vulnerable, because if we aren't, it'll get used against us. There is a mole, and it is you. Scripture says so many times it's our own desires, it's our own actions that set us up to allow the enemy to be at work in our lives. So what do we do? Step one, be alert. Here's step two. Number two, identify your enemy. Step two, you have to identify your enemy. It's interesting because as Peter talks about this, he doesn't, he doesn't mince words, he doesn't play around. He says, look, be alert, you need to be fully sober, and here's why, because you have an enemy. And I think that's key for us to all recognize and see today. You have an enemy. Who is it? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be alert and fully sober and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter knew this firsthand. He knew that there was an enemy because Jesus had told him this. Now, we won't take time to, to go into the whole story, but it's interesting that there was a time when Jesus was talking with Peter. And if you remember, Peter's real name, his, his birth name was Simon. Jesus nicknamed him Peter, and it just kind of stuck. But here's what we read. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Does that sound very friendly? Here's the reality. You have an enemy, and your enemy is the devil. 
your enemy, scripture says, is the devil. And for some of us, at this point, we kind of go, I don't know if there even really is such a thing. I mean, you say there's a devil, but is there really? I mean, when we think about the devil, oftentimes we think, the picture that immediately comes to my mind, did anybody ever watch the cartoon Tom and Jerry? Do you remember Tom and Jerry? And every so often, the devil would show up. And when he would, he'd have little, anybody remember? Little horns, and he'd have, he'd have a tail, right? And he'd always be carrying a pitchfork. That's the picture that we have of the devil. That's not from the Bible. That's Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry aren't real. They're a cartoon. And so sometimes I think maybe I've been conditioned to think that if Tom and Jerry aren't real, maybe the devil's not real. Here's what scripture says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So scripture shows us that there, there is a devil. So what do we know about him? Well, as we put uh, the, the, the snapshot we get from the Bible together, here, we don't have time to do a whole theology of evil this morning. Let me tell you just a couple of things. That he was once a great angel created perfect and good. And he was appointed to serve directly around God's throne in heaven. And yet, as we just read in 1 John chapter 3, before the world began, he became filled with pride and rebelled against God. And as a result, he became God's primary enemy and an enemy to all of humanity as well. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear him referred to as Satan, which is derived from a Hebrew word that means the adversary or the accuser, even as the idea of being a deceiver. And so we know that the devil is real. Peter tells us that he is our enemy and don't miss this, he's not a cartoon. You know what kind of enemy you have? You have a fierce enemy. You have a fierce enemy. How do we know? Think of how Peter describes him. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around. What an interesting phrase. I know that I don't want anyone prowling on me. Would you agree? It's uncomfortable to think about that. And this is how he was described from the very first time that we really get a glimpse into his character. Look at this, Job chapter two, verse two. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. It says that he prowls. Now, if, uh, if Tom the house cat is prowling around in my backyard, I'm not too worried about it. It's just a cat. It's not that big of a deal. But Peter didn't say he was just a cat. Peter said he prowls around like a lion. The lion to, to the ancient world would have been the, the fiercest, most ferocious, most, most mighty beast that Peter could have compared him to. He had an image of those things that would scare us. And oftentimes you'll see even in scripture that the lion is an image that's used to describe those that are enemies of God's people. Look at this. Psalm 22 verse 13 says, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Aren't you glad I went with the video of the snakes and the iguana instead? <laughs> I remember um, several years ago, 
don't know if everybody knows this, but Leah, who was just up here a few moments ago, our serve director, had served for seven years as a missionary in South Africa. And, and we took several teams there while she was still a missionary and uh, had done some outreach, worked with a local church. And one of the things that we would do as part of the team was you'd have kind of a day off while you were there. And, and one of the parts was we, we went out on kind of like a safari where they would take you out in the bush. Stefan, do you remember this? I remember you were there as a part of this. You go out in the bush and then you could see zebras, you could see giraffes, you could see elephants. I mean, you're out there. Hey, what can I see? And if you got really lucky, you might see a lion. And I remember we, we went out and we were out there while it was dark and we were on our way back and all of a sudden the guy that's driving the vehicle pulls over just a little bit and he says, okay, everyone be still. No one do or say anything. There's a lion over there and there's a, there's a whole group of them and they're hunting. <laughs> so my first thought was, oh, that's cool. My second thought was, why are we here? <laughs> like, it's weird there was this weird feeling that's both super awesome, but in, he's hunting. He would like to eat me. The, 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 the comfort was, I knew I wasn't the slowest person in the group. <laughs> didn't have to be the fastest, just didn't want to be the slowest. But think, think of the reality of this. Think of the image that Peter connects to here. He says, your enemy is like a lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. That's not a friendly game, a tag, or hide and go seek. The language he uses here is life and death. See, I think one of our major challenges in dealing especially with temptation in our lives is we forget that our enemy is not playing games. Ultimately, he wants to devour. This has this idea, this word of just kind of swallow you up whole. He wants to destroy you. That's the enemy of our soul. And we forget this sometimes because he's patient. Because he has a strategy. See, ultimately, he wants to get you to the point where he can just kind of push you over the edge but he's, he's okay to not do that all at once. If he can just get you to move an inch at a time, maybe he can just get you to move a little bit closer, a little bit closer to the edge. So that's a good day's work for him. He's happy if he can do it this way because he knows eventually he's getting you to the point where he can push you to destruction. And we forget that. We think it's just an inch at a time. When we drop our guard, when we, when we give in, when we give up, he sees it as moving just a little bit closer to where he can destroy you. And this is the thing you need to see. Your enemy wants to destroy you. Not playing games. This is the real deal. So how will he do it? I think he's got two, uh, two basic categories of what he kind of wants to do to us. Your enemy's desire is for you to fail or to falter. It's pretty, pretty much what it comes down to. He wants you to fail or to falter. When temptation comes, he wants you to fail and give in to that temptation. When struggles come, when tough time comes, when, when, when challenges come, he wants you to falter. He, he wants you to give up. His desire is to get you to either, and this is, this, is, this is key to understand, he wants you to either fail or falter. So we have to be very careful, we must be careful that we do not give in or give up. This is what it comes down to. We must be very careful that we do not give in to temptation and that we do not give up in times of struggle. 
Because understand this, the devil hates God. Who does God love? Us. So if the devil hates God, and God loves us, who does the devil also hate? Us. So there's no love lost there. His ultimate desire is to destroy us. How does he want to do it? This is where it gets really sneaky. See, the devil desires for you to forfeit God's best for an insufficient substitute. He knows how to play on the ways that we're created. Whatever it is that's inside of us that God has wired for us, if he can give us a counterfeit and make us think that it's just as good, sometimes maybe even if it's better, if he can offer us that insufficient substitute, then he's won. His desire is to get you to walk away from God's best for you. How does he do it? Well, well, to kind of talk about the tactics that he uses, probably the best place for us to look is the interaction that Jesus has with the devil in Matthew chapter four. This is the story of where the devil comes and he tempts Jesus. Jesus has been fasting. He's kind of spending this, this time in solitude in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. And then the devil comes to try to tempt him. So this first temptation comes and the devil, devil says to him, hey, look, you know, uh, you got this whole son of God thing going on. If you're really the son of God, and I know you gotta be hungry after all this fasting you're doing. See that stone right there? Bet you can't turn it into bread. Go ahead, do it, try it. Do a little uh, Jesus hocus pocus. And let's see what you can do. See, he knew how to play on the weaknesses that Jesus had in that moment. This is a tactic that he uses. I'd call it the tactic of temptation. See, if he can get us to choose what we want over what God's best is for us, then he wins. He loves it if he can get you to move outside of God's plan for your life to get what you think you want. He really loves it if you think you're doing it on your own instead of doing it in God's way. That's how temptation works. I'll take what I want instead of what God says is the best for me. And the reality is, oftentimes, we've we got to make sure we're connecting the dots on this thing, because that temptation lines directly up with his desire to destroy you. If he's successful in getting you to turn and buy into his tactics, he will devour you and understand what he wants. He wants you to lose your joy and your peace. He wants you to lose your time and your money. He wants to hurt your relationships. If he can destroy your marriage or cause struggle with your children, if he can do something to make you distracted about your job, ultimately he wants to rob your hope and steal your salvation. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And one of his key tactics is the tactic of temptation. If he can get you to go after what you think you want. Then the second temptation comes around and it says that, that the devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the temple, which is, is, is kind of fascinating because I told you last week we were with a group that was just in Israel and we, we stood at a place where, where our guide said, you know, we guessed that that might be where the pinnacle of the temple would have been. And I can tell you this, if, if you were up there and, and you fell down, you would die. You're not gonna live. And the devil says, hey, if you're, uh, you know, if you're everything you say you are, you're this son of God thing you talk about. Why don't you just throw yourself down from up there? Because uh, God's word says that his angels will take care of you. you. You won't even dash your foot against a stone. 
See, he was twisting God's word, even to the point where he was trying to get Jesus to believe and to act in a way based on something that wasn't true. It's what I would call the tactic of deceit. The tactic of deceit. Where if he can get you to think in a way that isn't in line with God's way, with God's best for you, then he wins. In fact, that's pretty much how he works. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, it's probably okay. really doesn't matter what you do. You can kind of do what you want to do. He loves it if he can get you to buy into his deceit instead of hanging on to truth. And look, I know that for some of you, you're, you're probably wondering and even asking the question, like, is, is there really a devil? Is all, this, is all this for real? Is all this legit as, as I look at this, as I think about this, as I talk about this? Does all this really even matter? And you start thinking about this. Start thinking about times when temptation has come your way. When you've, you've been deceived to believe something that isn't really true. The source of that is your enemy, which leads us to this third temptation that's in um, Matthew chapter four. The devil, it says he, he takes Jesus out and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, look, Jesus, you can have all of this. And it'd be real simple. Sometimes an easy way is pretty attractive. See, we know from Jesus' further teaching that he, he had an idea what was coming. He knew that for him to fulfill God's mission for himself, for his life, it wasn't going to be easy, right? Ultimately, it ended in death. And Jesus knew that there was hardship ahead. And the devil says, hey, Jesus, see all that? I can give it to you. I can give it an easy way. I can give you the simple way. You can have all the kingdoms of this world. All you have to do is bow down to me. And sometimes he likes to do that. He likes to play on our fear, our concern, the things we don't want to risk, or the way we don't like the unknown. And he says, look, there's a, there's a sure way. There's an easier way. There's a quicker way. There's a way where you won't have to risk so much. He says, why don't you just do it my way? And this is what I would call, I don't, I don't know if this is the best word for it or not, but I'd call it the tactic of fear. See, he loves to play on fear. And if he can get you to be afraid of what's here and to buy into what he offers instead, then he wins and he pushes you a little bit further to destruction. This is one of the things that that is a tool of his. I think that's why he's described as a roaring lion. When When I searched how do you avoid being eaten by a lion, one of the things that they said was, do not be afraid of his roar. It said, the roar may, however, cause the ground to shake beneath your feet, but do not be afraid. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's happening, and you're saying, don't be afraid? The reality is he loves to use fear. It's one of his tactics. So what did Jesus do? Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Which helps us to see how this plays out. Step one, be alert. Step two, identify your enemy. 
You have to know who your enemy is, and your enemy is the devil. Step one, be alert. Step two, identify your enemy. Here's the third step. Step number three, take your stand. Take your stand. Are you ready to get a little bit more encouraging? We've been pretty down since the iguana started running. Can we pick it up a little bit? Is that all right? Step three, take your stand. Here's what Peter says. Verse eight, you got a lion coming after you. Verse nine, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, he gives us three kind of parts to consider here. Watch what he says. He says, resist him, stand firm in the faith. So let's unpack those a little bit and talk about what he's saying here. The first thing that he says we need to do is that we need to resist him. And this seems kind of counterintuitive, but it actually makes total sense. You know what they'll tell you if the lion's coming after you? They say, don't turn around and run the other direction. Because if you turn around and run the other direction, you're showing the lion your fear. You've just become sport. He realizes that he has you now, and in just a few moments, he will have you. The fastest humans can maybe clock at about 25 miles an hour at at just top rate. A lion kind of cruises at 50. Look, you're lunch if you start running. You know what you do? They say that you resist him, that you stand firm, that you look that guy right in the eye, and you start waving your arms. Maybe you pick up a stick. You start yelling at him. You don't back down because if you can show him that you have some strength that's there, oftentimes that lion will back down. What you do is not run, but you resist. And this is exactly what Scripture says. Not only does Peter say this, but this must have been a thought and a theme throughout the whole early church. Watch this. James says it too. James chapter 4, verse 7 He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the truth is, in those times of testing, in those times of trial, in those times when temptation comes your way, don't think you've got to just run away. The reality is you need to resist. How do you resist? It's the next thing he says. You need to stand firm. Stand firm. And this is beautiful because... um, Today, as we talk about this, we've got 21 people who are being baptized in water. They're taking a step to say, I'm going to stand for my faith. See, the only way to know real life is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as these people go down into that tank and be baptized, and we celebrate with them, they are making a statement of the life that they found in Jesus Christ. It's the way that we can stand firm. Peter tells us to, James tells us to, look at what Paul says. The Apostle Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. He says, resist him and stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand firm. Man, that's a beautiful encouragement. Except when I read it, I thought to myself, Does the Bible contradict itself? In fact, actually, does does the Apostle Paul contradict himself? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I want you to stand firm. 
But listen to what he says to Timothy. Timothy was, was a young apprentice of Paul's. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he writes this. He says, listen to just the very first word. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Does that sound like standing? In one part he says stand firm. The next part he says you need to flee. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So which is it, Paul? Do you want us to stand or do you want us to flee? Do you know what the answer is? Paul would say to you, yes. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, here's the truth. Here's, Here's the reality of what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to flee what is wrong and pursue what is right. There are times when it is right for us to flee. And it all comes down to, I I don't know, if I had to give you one word to think about it, maybe the word that would help us to make sense out of it all is the word proximity. Where are you? What are you close to? What does it mean and where are you in relation to how you take a stand? Let me give you, let me give you kind of just a, an analogy. Let's say there's something big that's coming up in your, in your family or, or for you, maybe, there's a, maybe you're, it's, your, it's your class reunion or maybe you're going on vacation or maybe there's a wedding or something coming up and you look in the mirror and you go, man, I gotta lose about 10 or 15 pounds. So it's time to get serious. I am gonna change the way that I eat. I am going to eat right. I am gonna eat healthy. I am not gonna cheat. I am not gonna sin. So help me, God, I am going to not put any unclean thing in my mouth. If it ain't green, it ain't for me. Like that's you, right? (laughs) So you go to the grocery store. You're ready. You go walking in. You go through the produce area, and you are you scored a hundred percent on that test, man. You got all the right stuff. You're moving. You get you get the right kind of meat. You've got your chicken. You got your fish. You're ready to go. You're moving, and you're going to go to the back of the store, and you are going to get some recyclable plates because you're going to do everything right at this point, right? So you go back to the store, you're on your way back, you got your cart filled with goodness, and as you go to the back, you go past the cookie aisle. And you say to yourself, I remember the cookie aisle. Good times, cookie aisle. And you just keep on going. You go to the back, you get your stuff, you're coming, you're circling back around, you're heading to the register, and you go back past the cookie aisle again. And you just pause for a moment. And you remember the cookie aisle. Thought crosses your mind, get thee behind me, Oreo. You need to think a little bit more. You say, I got a lot of friends down that aisle. They probably miss me. Maybe I'll just go by and say hello. Maybe some of them are on sale. And you go back by, they find you there an hour later under a pile of Oreos and Chips Ahoy and you're passed out, you know, in a sugar coma. What was the problem? Don't go down the cookie aisle. You never should have been there. You'd have been fine if you hadn't gone down there. You should have fleed the cookie aisle. The problem wasn't with the cookies. The problem was the fact that you were there in front of them. Proximity. Do you know why some of you have never gotten into a bar fight? You didn't go to the bar. (laughs) Right? Isn't that how it works? That's the truth. That's the reality of this. And so understand this. What Paul is saying when he says flee, he's helping Timothy to see this. Temptation comes with location. And if you let yourself be in a place where you're close to that temptation and you expect that you're not going to give in to that temptation, 
If you wrestle with fear or depression or doubt and you're hanging out with Eeyore, it's not going to (laughs) work. At some point, understand this, temptation comes with location. Years ago, when our kids were, when our kids were little, we went during spring break uh, to this, we got a cabin in Tennessee, we went with Rhonda's folks, and we just, we hung out for a week during spring break. And they were, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago at least, it was a long time ago. And so we, we were there, kids were little, and one day we went fishing. There was this river that was there, and I was like, oh, this would be fun, so we went fishing. And so you know, it's like you got little kids, we're trying to get everybody set up. So I said to one of our kids, look, look, we, we got to get everybody set up, you just stand right there. Like, don't, don't do anything else, just stand right there. Don't stand over there. If you stand over there, I will cut your vacation or maybe your life short. Because it was a slippery slope. Don't stand there. Stand here. I'll be back in a moment. I went over here. We began to help everybody get set up with the rods and bait and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what sound I quickly heard? Started with an S, ended with a plash. (laughs) And I look over and there they are in the water. You know what they had done? They had started here, but that looked so fun. It was closer to the water. It would be fun to jump over there, which is exactly what they did on a slippery slope and ended up about waist deep in the water. It was cold. It was spring. It was not pleasant. It was a bad deal. The problem was not with the water. The problem was with where they were standing. You could stand firm over here, but there's no way to stand firm over here. It's too slippery. It's too risky. You don't know what you're doing. You can't stand firm here, but you can stand firm there. And ask yourself the question, are you in a place, what's your proximity to where when the enemy comes, you can stand firm? Because you cannot stand firm if you you stand in the wrong place. Does that make sense? If you're not in the right place, if you're putting yourself in a slippery place, let's just say it this way, stay out of the cookie aisle because <laughs> you can't stand firm if you're standing in the wrong place. Now look, I don't, I don't know where you're at or what you're up against or, or what's going on in your world, but what I want to do just real quick is give to you some encouragement and some hope, because here's what he says. He says, resist him standing firm in the faith. How do you stand firm in the faith? Well, faith comes by the word of God, right? That's how we receive that. So let me give to you a few scriptures that may help you if you're in a time where you're challenged with trial or testing or temptation. Understand this, here's where it begins. God has promised protection. If you are in a place and you feel like your enemy is peeking in your windows because he's prowling around, God has promised protection. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter is, is writing in this same letter about the good things that God has done. And he says, you have been brought into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation. Look at that, look at that phrase again. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. Isn't that cool? Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know what he said there? When you face that lion, defeat is not certain. God has shielded you. He's promised you protection. Not only that, but God has provided assistance. Not only has he promised us protection, but he said he'll be there for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation 
has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I think it's the King James Version that uses the phrase there, he will give to you a way of escape. He'll give you his assistance. When you face that temptation, you're not doomed to fail. One last thing, God is greater than your enemy. In the time when the enemy comes against you, remember this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Which leads us to step four. Step one, be alert. Step two, identify your enemy. Step three, stand firm. And step four, here's the last one, be encouraged. Step number four, be encouraged. Look at what he says again here. First Peter chapter five, verse nine. Speaking of the devil, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know one of the things that the devil loves to do is make you think that you're on your own, that you're the only one, that nobody else experiences the same emotions as you do. Maybe even that there's something wrong with you or that you've got nobody that you can count on or that you can lean on because you know the best kind of prey for an enemy to go after is one who is caught on their own with no hope or no help. And what this scripture says to us is you are not alone. Your experience, what you're going through, what you're facing, this isn't unique to you, he says. Those struggles, those temptations, those trials. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Peter says it here about the trials that they're facing. Look, you're not alone. Someone knows what you're feeling. God does. And those of us that that are walking this faith walk as well, isn't it always good to know that you're not weird? Well, for for some of us, isn't it good to know (laughs) that you're not weird? The reality is you're not alone. And remember this, that Jesus has conquered the devil. And just as real as the devil is, so is the truth of what Christ did for us. We looked at this back at Christmas, but this was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus was born. Genesis chapter three, verse 15, at the very beginning in the the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve chose what, what the serpent offered them instead of God's best, God says, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Yeah, devil, you'll cause some trouble, but ultimately, he's gonna crush your head. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? (laughs) Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let's go back to our little buddy, the iguana. I love the end when he makes that last leap. Not only is he, is he finally somewhere out of their reach, but you show up next to someone who's bigger than you. Someone who's there to help protect you. I don't know, some kind of parental figure in that movie, but 
The reality is that when you get to that place, you can put your trust in someone who is bigger than you. A near miraculous escape, right? Isn't that what he said? The truth is Jesus has defeated the devil. You ever, you ever seen a movie? You know, sometimes there's, there's different, and I don't know whether you're talking Indiana Jones or Star Wars or whatever you want to talk about, where you watch a movie, and maybe, maybe there's like, let's say there's three of them that have come out, but you haven't seen them yet. And you're on number two. You know there's a number three, but you're watching number two, and things are bad for the hero. And you're watching this and you're going, there is no way that the hero is going to escape the troubles that he's in. I am sure that it is over for him. Yet you know in the back of your mind there's a number three, right? So you're watching number two. You know he's going to live because they made more money off of another movie, right? (laughs) But you're still in number two. And in that moment, you go, it looks like there's no hope. It looks like this is not going to work out. It looks like it's curtains for our hero. How is she going to, how is he going to, what's going to happen in this spot? And you're wrapped up in number two, and you're not sure how it's going to work out, even though you know there's number three. Some of you right now are living number two. And you're wondering, how is our hero ever going to make it? And you're the hero, (laughs) You know there's a number three. You know there's hope at the end. But it sure doesn't feel like it right now. Instead, right now, this trial, this testing, this trouble, this temptation, it seems like it's all there is. How do I know there's hope? This is why Peter writes to the people that he writes to. And he says, look, God has you. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. But don't forget there's someone who could care less about you. So be sober. Be alert. Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's roaring. But understand this. If you resist him, then he'll flee from you. If you stand firm in the faith, then God will be with you. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to to the church that was in Rome. And remember that Rome was at the very center of the persecution in the first century. In fact, many of the people who were in Rome had ended up there because of persecution. Paul wrote a letter to them. Much the same way that Peter did at the very end. He wants to encourage them. And he says this, Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And I would encourage you with this today. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Just a few seconds, we're going to walk out these doors. We're going to go out in the atrium. We're going to celebrate with individuals who are being baptized. But the reality is that some of you came in today And you know what it's like to look in your rearview mirror and feel like you're being prowled by an enemy. It seems like the devil's been right on your heels. I don't know if it's been through a a challenge of temptation. Maybe it's a season that you're in through a struggle or a trial. It might not even be anything that has to do with the choice you made or anything you did. Maybe it's just circumstance. But you find yourself here today and you would say, God, I need your help. 
to resist my enemy and stand firm in the faith. If that's you, then I want to pray for you today. This is nothing to be embarrassed of. In fact, I'd say just the opposite. It's an opportunity to seek for strength. And if you're here today and you would say, God, I need your help to stand firm where I am right now. Can I ask you just to stand right where you are? Just just right now. If you say, God, I need your help to stand firm. Go ahead and just stand up. It's between you and God. You don't need to tell anybody what's going on. You don't need to just... You say, God, I need your help to stand firm. The truth is, I'm standing with you. But in those times when it seems like the enemy's set his sights on me, I need your help to stand firm. Nothing weird. But I'd ask this too, that if somebody that's, that's right near you is standing, would, would maybe you just stand, just put a hand on their shoulder. Look, you don't have to say a word. Whether you're here in Auditorium 1, maybe you're over in Auditorium 2, just, just place a hand on their shoulder. Because what did he say? He, he said, this is not unique to you. The whole body of believers knows what it's like to be in this place. And so, Father, today we come to you. Lord, you know what's going on in each one of our hearts. You know the places where it feels like at times the enemy of our soul is wanting to to steal and to kill and to destroy. Maybe in those moments when temptation comes relentlessly. Maybe those times when struggle seems so real. God, we thank you to know that you have already defeated the enemy and that we can look to you and we can trust in you and we can put our hope in you. And so, Lord, we we find our strength today. We stand firm in the faith, knowing that we serve the one who is greater in us than he that is in the world. So, Lord, would you help us to be alert in those moments? God, would you help us to identify those times when the tactics of temptation or deceit or fear are coming our way? Father, would you help us to stand firm and resist and to stand in the right place, knowing that we can stand with our trust in you and be encouraged that this word today was a reminder that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that you're right there with us always. So now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.